listening to Truth To You with Jono and g'day to Kieran and Donna in Oberon, New South Wales. And wherever you may be around the world, it is good to have your company. It is time for Pearls from the Torah Portion with Keith Johnson and Nehemia Gordon. G'day, gentlemen. G'day. Hey, g'day. It's great to be here from Jerusalem. It's a shout out to Abby over in Charlotte. Thanks for listening to the program. I've got a shout out to my son, Kyle, from New York City, who's now listening to Torah Pearls. Way to go, Kyle. Way to go, Kyle, from New York. New York City. <laughs> we are. <laughs> and today we are in Kedoshim, uh, which is Leviticus 19, verse 1 to 20, verse 27. And it begins like this. It says, uh, And Yehovah spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, Yehovah, your Elohim, am holy. Now, we, that was the end of uh, Leviticus 11, I think. Uh, it's, it's reiterating. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father and keep my Sabbaths. I am Yehovah your God. This is, uh, again, reiterating the, the fourth and fifth commandments, I think. But Nehemiah, you were going to say. Yeah, so this is actually a theme throughout Leviticus uh, um, where God uh, repeatedly talks about this concept of uh, emulate me. I'm holy and therefore I want you to be holy. And he defines for us, he teaches us how to be holy. You know, a lot of people think uh, you can be holy by fasting and you can be holy by, by doing various things. Well, God actually tells us what we need to do to be holy like he is holy. He tells us what not to eat and what what to eat and uh, what to do and what not to do. And by, by emulating these uh, things that he teaches us to do, we can actually be holy and be closer to him, be more like him, that he is holy and we can be holy as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's, it's such a central theme in this part of Leviticus that uh, secular scholars have actually dubbed this the holiness code. Um, uh, but actually, you know, even beyond that, we really have a theme here in, 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 in this section of Leviticus. Throughout the central part of Leviticus, Yehovah is holy and to be like him, we must be holy too. Amen. Amen. And so, yeah, verse and there's actually, And actually, in a sense, there's a paradox there as well, which is that he says he sanctifies us, which means he makes us holy. And to maintain that holiness, we have to follow these instructions that he gives us. Mm. And, and so many of these instructions end with, in a way, his signature, I suppose, I am Yehovah, your Elohim. And, uh, and here it is, and we see it in, in uh, verse 3, where... He reiterates, uh, as I said, the, the fourth and fifth commandment. Verse four is the second. Do not turn to idols, nor make for yourselves molten gods. I am Yehovah, your Elohim. And if you offer a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord, to Yehovah, you shall offer it of your own free will. It shall be eaten the same day you offer it and on the next day. And if any of it remains until the third day, it shall be burned in the fire. And if it is eaten at all on the third day, it is an abomination. It shall not be accepted. Therefore, anyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity because he has profaned the hallowed offering of Yehovah that a person shall be cut off. That person shall be cut off from his people. Okay. And we read about that a little earlier on too, didn't we? So it's reiterating that. So there's a lot of repetition in this section, right? Um, yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, I'd say the main repetition that we're going to see is uh, when we get to Leviticus 20, we're going to see... Um, really almost Leviticus 18 wholesale <laughs> repeated. Um, the big difference in 20 is going to be that, that whereas there, there are commandments in Leviticus 18, verse 20, chapter 20 is going to bring us what some of the consequences of not following those commandments are. Yeah, that's right. And we're going to get there very soon. So I'll rattle through these. Yeah. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of the field, 
nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, and you shall not glean uh, your vineyards, uh, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger. I am Yehovah your Elohim. Nehemiah, does that, does that happen? Is that still a farming practice in Israel, among some at least? Uh, well, so, some people do it, but they do it more symbolically because um, these days the poor don't actually go out into the field to collect the, the grain. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's very interesting because you know we, we think of charity today in the Western world as uh, giving to the poor. And, um, and and in a sense, uh, in the Bible, the way I'm seeing it is uh, that God essentially is setting these, telling us to set these things aside for the poor, but we don't have them line up in a soup kitchen where we hand it to them, mm-hmm. and and you know they basically feel like they're not accomplishing anything in life. Here, they actually have to come out into the fields and collect the grain for themselves. Sure. And 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 so that actually, I think, um, in a sense, puts them to work. It allows them the dignity of work. Um, and so I think that's, that's a really beautiful thing. Uh, you know, earlier in the chapter, we had this, uh, verse three, we really have the, in a sense, the first commandment there where he says, each man, uh, um, fear his mother and his father and keep my Shabbats. I am Yehovah, your God. And then mm. verse four, I am Yehovah, your God. And he's repeating, like you said, this, I am Yehovah, your God. And, and you call it the signature. The way I look at it is he's telling, he's essentially telling us, this is why you have to do these things. You may hate your mother and your father, but I am Yehovah your God. And you may say, I don't need Shabbat. I'm not. I don't need a rest. But I am Yehovah, Yehovah your God, and I'm mm. the one who's commanding you to do these things. Mm. And so I, I think I see that as the reason uh, He's giving us to keep these commandments. Why? Because I am Yehovah your God, and that becomes a central theme, especially in this chapter. That essentially each section here ends, I am Yehovah your God. Sure. Each little uh, collection of commandments, and. Um, uh, you know, is you know, and even if we say, "Well, I don't really care about the poor," well, I am Yehovah your God. <laughs> right. So you know, so do, do it, it because not because I say you like so. The poor, don't like the poor, but because I am Yehovah your God, and I'm commanding you to do it. Because I say so, and, holy, and, and I carry the authority. So you, you yeah, that's right. Exactly. If you want to be holy, then you and I am holy. Say. I'm holy, and if you want to be like me, if you want to be close to me, you need to to do these things in order to be holy as well. Mm-hmm. You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another, Keith, and you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God, I am Yehovah. Yeah, actually, before we get to verse 12, um, the thing that I, I thought was really kind of interesting, especially in light of what we're doing on uh, Torah Pearls, you know, we're doing these portions, and it's really interesting. I've been talking to different people, and they always want to know, well, what portion are you on? What portion are you on? And it's almost as if uh, Yehovah knew that uh, there were going to be portions, because <laughs> you know how sometimes you, you have a theme, and I know we've talked about this, we were talking about this earlier, but I just think it's so cool, this reminder, mm. you know, the reminder. It's it's like, okay, just in case you, you missed the portion before, I was talking about my holiest, holiness, this portion I'm talking about my holiness, and then just in case you missed it, or you fell asleep, or who knows, you're sitting and listening there with your family, and you had to run off and Go get something to eat or whatever other needs you have. Mm. Just want to remind you again, I'm holy. You know, and it's and I just think, and I'm kind of obviously kidding about the portions, but that the concept that the things that are really, really important, like for example, when he speaks about reminding them, hey, listen, I'm the one that took you out of Egypt. You know, and it comes at these sort of strategic times, or hey, I, remember, I'm the one who's holy. And and these these this sort of cyclical um, proclamations. Mm remind the people and, and again i think one of the things that's that's so important is as i'm as at least as i'm reading this and i've gone through the torah portions before i'm, I'm sorry not the torah portions i've gone through the torah uh before any and if you read the torah and you just start reading just just start reading genesis ex leviticus in the methodist bible and you start reading 
and and you don't get too caught up on some of the specifics, but you start seeing these big pictures and this big uh, sort of the concepts that are coming out. It really is an, this this theme. I'm the one who's the creator of the heavens and earth. I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt. I am holy. Now here are these things I want you to do, and I I, I just I just kind of I, I love that because I always think of children that are listening to the Torah. Children are listening to the Torah. So when you walk away and you say to them, now, there's three things I want you to remember. And you ask that child that was seven or eight or nine years old, I wonder if they wouldn't also say, well, one of the things we know about the creator of the universe is he's holy. And, and the other thing we know about him is that he brought us out of Egypt. And there's some things he wants us to do that matches that. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it just kind of, it's kind of a cool thing. Sure. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it does repeat itself that way. And, but in this case, in, in, in verse 12, you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God. Now, we've spoken about swearing by his name falsely before, right? I mean, taking a vow mm-hmm. or, or making a promise in his name and not keeping it, uh, mm-hmm. for example. Or, but what does it mean to profane the name of your God? Well, I think here's what we got to do. I think if we read if we read this word profane and we do what we always do, which I always love this and people always love this. So my, my NIV in uh, verse 12, my nearly inspired version here. <laughs> one second here. Um, so it says, do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. And then what does yours say, Jono? Okay, because yours says, and so. Mine says, nor shall you profane Start the name. Start from the beginning. Does, okay. does, it, does it say swear falsely? Yeah, it says... Actually, and, his, his says, so that you proclaim, profane the name. Oh. In other words, it, in Keith's translation, it's making profaning the name a, the, a result of swearing falsely, whereas mm-hmm. uh, what it literally says in the Hebrew is ve and, and you mm-hmm. shall not... Um, profane pro- the name of God. Let's see. Yeah, so you could definitely read that as some causation there. Um uh, do not swear falsely by my name, and you shall swear. Because uh, I mean, look, if we if we read these as two separate commandments, we end up with the second one being, and you shall profane the name uh, the name of Jehovah your God, or the name of Jehovah, right. uh, the name of your God. I'm Jehovah. So essentially, profaning the name Jehovah or the name of God is done by swearing falsely in the name. It's the way that Keith's read, right? Is by swearing falsely in this context. Yeah. How about that? So the nearly inspired version gets it right. No, how about those methods? Are you kidding me? And what do you got? What do you got? What do you got in yours, uh, uh, Jonah? So so I'll I'll read it again. So starting from verse twelve, and you shall not swear falsely by my. So you shall not swear by my name falsely, comma, nor shall you, and as if this is another thing. Nor shall you profane the name of your God. So the word "nor" doesn't appear there. Uh In other words, it's literally "and you shall." uh, profane the name of your God, um, and and the word "and" is is a really funny word in Hebrew because it has lots of different meanings. It can mean "but," it can mean um, it can mean all kinds of different things. And in this context, it essentially means "so so that." The way it's translated in NIV, that, mm-hmm. that's a legitimate translation. So there it is. So to, to profane the name of Yehovah is to swear falsely by His name. There it is. So verse thirteen: You shall not cheat your neighbor, nor rob him. The wages of him. Actually, can we can we go back to verse eleven? Because there's something really interesting in verse eleven that that I think is kind of glossed over in most translations. So you've got three commandments here. You've got don't. The first one's don't steal. Can I get an amen from both, amen. both the Methodist don't and steal. the Australian? Don't steal, nor deal falsely. Third one is is literally lotushaku. Don't lie. Can mm-hmm. I get an amen mm-hmm. there? Amen. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. What do you got? As, what do you have as the second one in in your translations? Okay, so in, in mine, Keith, I've got, uh, you shall not steal, comma, nor deal falsely, comma, nor lie to one another. So deal mine falsely. Mine says do not God. steal. Yeah, do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another. Okay. 
Uh, okay, so so yours has the second one is lie, and uh, Jonas has the second one as uh, to deal falsely. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Hebrew word is a really interesting word, techachashu. It's a hard word to say, techachashu. Um, and, and it's a word that, that literally means to, uh, to, de- to, to lie by denying something, to deny. Um, and the example that, that you uh, find earlier in the Torah is when, um, in, uh, it, when, when the angel accuses Sarah of, uh, of laughing, and it says, and she denied saying, saying she didn't laugh, mm-hmm. and it uses this exact word. So it's not just a lie, um, it's a lie by, uh, essentially by denying something. Which is interesting. Like, why would Hebrew have a word like that? There's a really interesting example of it in Joshua 24, verse 27. Um, it says, And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness. Say witness. Mm-hmm. Shall, witness. Be, shall be a witness to us, for it has heard all the words of Jehovah. This is a stone they set up, mm-hmm. which he spoke to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. And mm-hmm. the word there is the same exact word. It's to deny by lying. So I think there's mm-hmm. something really... It's been really profound there. Hmm. Wouldn't have seen. Okay. You got to love the Hebrew. Yes, you have to love, love, the, love the Hebrew. Hebrew. I mean, <laughs> I'm telling you guys, Jono, we've we've got a we've got a uh, we've got our own search uh, our own search tool right here on on uh, Truth to You. I mean, if anyone doesn't, I mean, this is amazing. We can come across the word and we just push this button, and then Nehemia <laughs> is like a, a live uh, search tool. He can give us. It's really it's impressive. I love it. <laughs> you shall not. You shall not cheat your neighbor. Nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. You shall not curse the deaf. Oh, we, we gotta stop, we gotta stop there. That's mm. I mean, these are some huge commandments. So the first one: you shall not cheat your neighbor. The word there actually doesn't mean cheat. The word is uh, tashok, and tashok is they usually translate it as something like to oppress. You shall not oppress your fellow or your neighbor, and um, sometimes they translate it as to abuse. And, and and it really means so much more. What it really than you know than than to cheat. It really it means to take advantage of the weak. That's really the meaning of la shok. To take advantage of the weak. Um, and the next after that. So what do you have after? Do not oppress your neighbor. And then what do you have? Verse so I've 13? got nor rob him. Rob him. And then the word there tigzol uh, tigzol is actually two Hebrew words for steal. And uh, this is the Hebrew word that means to steal using violence. So you don't oppress your 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 neighbor, uh, which means essentially to take advantage of him. Generally, it has like a um, a connotation of uh, of the rich taking advantage of the poor, mm-hmm. um, and that's why at the end of the verse we have and don't leave over the wage of a hired worker with you until morning. And we I got to remember in many places in the world to this day you have people who are day laborers and they get paid at the end of the day, and uh, and that's what it's talking about here. If the agreement is that you pay the man by the end of the day. You pay him that day. You don't keep his money until the next day. Mm. Uh, and why is that? Because he needs that food. He needs that money to buy food. I mean, you know, right. this sounds like something remote and exotic, but literally there are people that that today, if they don't work, they're not going to eat today. They won't eat tonight. They won't be able to feed their families tonight. Sure. And the Torah is telling you, don't oppress the weak, your neighbor who's weaker than you, and don't rob him using violence. Don't steal from him. And don't leave over the way to the hired worker with you until morning. And that's a really important uh, principle I've tried to employ in my life. Whenever I owe someone money, uh, whenever I've hired someone to do something, whatever the agreed upon time frame is to pay them, I try to pay them. I do my best to try to pay them on time. Mm. Um, you know, it, there's actually an entire financial system uh, that's been developed in the Western world 
where uh, and I don't know if they do this uh, in, in all in you know all the countries of the people that are listening, but I know um, in many of the Western countries, the whole system is worked out that you don't pay somebody until ninety days after he's done the mm. work for you. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know that, that's like a standard thing in the Western world. And what the Torah is saying here is you've got to pay the person on time. You've got to mm. pay the person uh, in a timely manner based on what's been agreed. Mm. Jono, mm. can I uh, can I bring this up? I know you guys uh, you guys tend to you know kind of hit me over the head on this one, but I, I want to go to the New Testament on this because it's um what it's uh, kind <laughs> Wait. of. Kind of no, I thought no, this I was like, an Old Testament program. No, 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 no. I just want to. I want to. I, I want to go to the New Testament. A very, very controversial book. One of the very, very the books that when I was uh, first coming along, when I got to the book of James, I loved the book. In fact, believe it or not, you two, uh, there's only one book in the entire New Testament that I ever memorized from beginning to end, and it was the book of James. You memorized I never understood the book of why. James? I memorized the entire book of James. This was some years ago, long, long time ago, mm-hmm. and I didn't. I never knew why I, I, I wanted to memorize that particular book. As I've gone further. In my life, I came to find out how controversial the book of James was, especially amongst some of the reformers, including folks like Martin Luther, Martin Luther, who thought, you know, I'm not sure we want that book there. And as the more I read it and the more I read the Torah, I see these connections. And so here's this amazing connection in uh, James chapter 5. Mm-hmm. Now, listen, you rich people weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has um, uh, rotted and, um, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are um, co- corrupted. The corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh by fire. You have uh, hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. And, it, and it, it's, it's funny now. It's been a long time, obviously, since I've gone through the memory process. But immediately when I read... In Leviticus chapter 19, and there are other there are other sections in the Torah that sort of jump off the page. That James, in his practicality in terms of how you are to treat people and to deal with widows and orphans, etc., he deals with that. And so, why does a Martin Luther and others look at that and say, "Ah, we don't think we want that book in there"? It too much is going to remind folks like uh, Jono and maybe Keith the Methodist. Who knows? Even Nehemiah, if he were you know bored sometime and he wanted to open up his New Testament to do some word studies, he'd read James and he'd say, "Hey, wait a minute." That sounds a little bit like the Torah, and so <laughs> they didn't want to make that connection, and so they kicked it out. Uh, many, many times attempted to kick it out, but I just wanted to bring that up because it's it is amazing to me that if I go back to the first century, and I do imagine that the people that were there truly understood the Torah to be exactly what you and I, Jono, and those that are listening believe it to be as the Word of God. There are applications, there are connections that they would have made, and certainly the Book of James is just one example. Of that, so I just had to bring that up. You guys don't have to uh, hit me over the head too much. We can get back to Leviticus. No, look, that's, that's interesting. And seeing that you did bring it up, I, if I if my memory serves me correctly, Uh-oh. I believe Martin Luther referred to James as an epistle of straw, and he put it at the back of his translation <laughs> in the hope that he yes. may kind of forget it and yeah. leave it off the off the end. Yeah, but it is interesting. I'm just looking at it in my New King James and verse yep. four in the in the cross references. Lo and behold, it does direct you back to Leviticus 19 verse 13. Uh-oh. So, yeah, no, that's good. There it is. Yeah, thank you. Well, I, I, I got to comment on a couple of points here. Um, what, one is that, um, you know, the, the one interesting thing as you were reading this is, and this is kind of a side tangent, but uh, this is what I do, um, <laughs> which is in verse 4, it says, uh, he's quoting, um, let's see, he says, uh, uh, cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Mm-hmm. Sabaoth, and what is Sabaoth? Well, that's not a Greek word; it's being translated from Greek here, but that's actually the Hebrew word Sabaoth, and that's a phrase that appears throughout the Tanakh. 
as Yehovah Tzvaot, Yehovah of Hosts, and um, you know they say he's the Lord of Hosts. But it's actually Yehovah of Hosts, and that's actually a word in the Greek. Where in the Greek they wrote out the word Sabaot in mm-hmm. in Greek letters because um, they didn't know maybe they didn't know how to translate it or. They said, okay, that's his, his title. We're not going to even translate that word. And wh- what's interesting, though, is whenever you have Tzavaot, you have before it Yehovah. And so we have here in the Greek, Lord of hosts, Lord, Lord of Tzavaot. But in the original, when James was speaking these words or writing these words originally in Hebrew, it had to be Yehovah Tzavaot. Um, mm. Otherwise, you wouldn't have the Tzavaot there in the Greek. And I think it's interesting that this has been changed over to uh, to Lord. That's mm. a, any, any comment there from... Yeah, I, I've got a comment. Uh, see, do you see how I do that, Jonah? I, I want to get him to uh, to bring some of this to the New Testament. So what you got to do is you got to come through the back door and catch his, <laughs> catch his attention. Then he'll give you a jewel. You know, he'll give you a pearl. So I think that this is a great uh, – this is, again, I think people have to realize – and, Nehemiah, and one of the things I really appreciate and have appreciated for these last 10 years is that we – you know, I, I got to tell this story to everyone now that he's done this. Um, you know, when I when, when Nehemiah and I uh, got together and started – talking and we had this big discussion back and forth and argument about I needed him to help me you know he said to me uh, he said to me now remember none of that New Testament stuff <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and that and that lasted for a few years until he came across some textual issues so the thing what you got to do with Lepemi is you got to bring a textual issue he always says this I'm not a New Testament believer but I do look at things as the, from the from textual perspective and what you just did is another example of a great pearl where you were looking at it from a textual aspect and you're looking at your Greek and you're thinking of, you know, here's what it is in the Tanakh and et cetera. And then again, here comes this jewel. So uh, this pearl. So I want to tell you, I appreciate that. I'm sure the people that are listening appreciate that you do that. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. that, Jonah, this is a great place for um, for us to uh, say the prayer that we would be able to find these hidden things. Because really again, again, I want to say this, I, and I say this so strongly, is that um, there are many pearls in the Torah, and there are many times in the Torah where, where that, th- those pearls are used other places, and I don't want to set those other places aside when I'm able to find that Torah pearl. Mm. So that's an example in the book of James where how do we get that sort of information that Hemia is willing to cross over? Give us an, uh, the, the, the textual issue there, and sure enough, a pearl jumps off the page, and I'll be preaching from that passage the next time I speak. Thank you, Nehemiah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and incidentally, there's uh, just to confirm that in Romans nine twenty nine, uh, we again have the phrase "kurios sabaot," mm. uh, yes. which in you know in Greek, which is a uh, Lord of Sabaot, which is obviously in the yeah. original Yehovah Sabaot. Mm. And there, it's a direct quote from uh, the book of Isaiah, uh, Isaiah chapter one verse nine. And lo and behold, in the Hebrew, you actually have, of course, Yehovah Sabaot. So that confirms that when you have Sabaot like that in the Greek, the original had to have Yehovah. Oh, Otherwise, like Sabaot makes no sense there. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and say the prayer, awesome. and uh, I'm going to say, Avinu Shabbat Shemayim Yehovat Sevaot, Galenenu Venabita Niflaot Mitoratecha, Our Father in Heaven, Yehovah Sevaot, Yehovah of Hosts, uncover our eyes that we may see the wonderful hidden things of your Torah. Amen. 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 Thanks. You know, it's really okay. interesting uh, that you point that out, Nehemiah, because uh, right next to it in my New King James Study Bible, uh, right next to Chapter 5 of James, it has a word focus, and it is Lord of Sabaot. And it mm-hmm. actually it says, it says the name means, they've got in inverted commas, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, or the Master of creation, is what they've got mm-hmm. there. It was suitable for James to use this familiar Old Testament title, 
uh, in the cross-reference to Psalm 24.10, in a letter to Jewish Christians, it says, for they would have understood that the choice of this particular name of God was especially appropriate in this context. The rich oppresses the poor because they think no one will stand up for them, but the Lord of all the hosts of heaven and the earth Amen. is their defender, and he is coming back to make all things right. I think we can all say amen to that. But oh, Yehovah, Yehovah will make all things right. Amen? You see, amen. guys, I'm telling you, let, let the Methodists bring something from the New Testament every <laughs> once in a while. I mean, it would be beneficial to well, the... Yeah. Look, that was a whole two-minute uh, piece there. Come on, are you kidding me? Well, look, look, going, going back to what James is talking about, I think it's interesting because <laughs> oh, this, is, this is essentially a central theme of the prophets of the Tanakh, of the Old Testament, of, of the Hebrew Bible, mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. warning the people about their oppression of the um, of the disadvantaged of the poor, um, and 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 really they were you know the people they were they were doing exactly what it said there lotas shok do not oppress that's exactly what the 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 people were doing to the to the lower classes to the you know the workers mm -hmm. and right. um, and and you know this is a central theme of of the prophets and here in James and and, and it's interesting because you know a lot of times when we think about well what does it mean to be holy so I think if you ask most people they'll say well holy well that has to do with you know fasting and keeping all the ritual commandments and and uh um you know and actually there's no commandment anywhere in 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 the bible to fast and and i could say bible i mean anywhere in the tanakh or in the new testament there's mm -hmm. no commandment to fast whereas we have very specific commandments here where it says what it entails to be holy and it's not just what we think of as quote unquote ritual commandments he's got shabbat there and he's got honoring your mother and father and he's got not taking advantage of the weak and the poor mm. and not being dishonest in your business practices. That's also about being holy. You know, and there's a lot of people out there, and, 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 and it's almost cliche, but, but it's true. There's a lot of people out there who will do all of the rituals that they think that their faith requires of them. But when it comes to actually being a, a person of integrity and dealing with, our, with other people in matters of, of business, all of a sudden, you know, they, they turn into, you know, the Bernie Madoffs. I mean, we're you know we we get people who will take advantage of others um, when it comes to a business deal, and you know what? That's not what being holy is is in that field as well, and and in maybe in some respect that's you know the more challenging one. Anybody you know keeping Shabbat that's easy. Um, I've been keeping Shabbat my whole life. For me, that's really easy. The more challenging thing is you know when no one is looking, like Keith said, when no one's looking. And, um, you know, I'm just going to keep the money till tomorrow. I'm going to go buy myself something and then I'll pay him right. tomorrow or, you know, right. that, and, and who's going to, and what's he going to do about it? You know, he's got to work for me. He's got no choice. And, um, or, you know, I mean, I mean, this, this is, this is, um, this is not holiness. Holiness is even in those situations saying, you know what, uh, I, I stand before Jehovah and he's the one that I've got to answer to. And I want to be like him because he is holy, and so I need to be holy in this situation as well and do the right and honest and integral thing. I just had to turn to, uh, to the verse that that word focus uh, referenced, which was Psalm 24, verse 10. I'll just read it quickly and we'll return. Mm -hmm. Who is this king of glory? Yehovah <laughs> Sebaod. He glory! is Woo! the king of glory. Amen. <laughs> Amen. 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 Glory. Like that. Okay. I'll read that again because I shouted that. I, I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> No, that was important. Okay, that's Psalm 24, verse 10, is the one yeah. that... Uh, do you want to read it to us in the Hebrew? Can you do that quickly? It says, Mihu zemelech kavod. Who is this king of glory? Yehovah tzvaot, Yehovah of hosts. Who melech kavod? He is the king of glory. Amen. 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 Thank you. Can I get a seller?
Yes, yeah, sir. Okay. Uh, now, look, Keith, Who? What, what is the purpose of cursing the deaf? They're not going to hear you. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, put, I mean, you put a stumbling block before the blind. I mean, that's pretty slack and it's going to have a pretty poor outcome. But what does it mean to curse the deaf? You know, I think what you do, Jono, I'm convinced of it. And I'd like the, the, the listeners to send in comments to think that this is true. I think what you do is, you know, you, 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 you'll, you'll, you'll say Nehemiah, such as, and then you'll get to something like this and you'll say, Keith, your turn. Come on, give me some of the easier ones, the good ones. I mean, are you kidding me? <laughs> I think you do this on purpose. I think you highlight things like this and say, okay, I'm going to give him 10%. Keith, what about the – What about the? look, I'm waiting to, 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 to get to my favorite verse here. So you two go ahead and talk until I can, can, I, until I can spend another card. <laughs> you shall do no injustice in judgment. Wait, no, I, I'd like to talk about that. Go on. No, talk yeah, about come this. on, off you go. So, so we've got we've got two things here in verse fourteen. Don't curse the deaf, and before a blind man, don't place a stumbling block. And right. you shall and here is again, and you shall fear Jehovah your God. Uh, you shall fear your fear your God. I am Jehovah. Mm-hmm. So again, why should we do this? We're not afraid of the deaf guy, and we're not afraid of the blind guy. You know, they they really probably can't do much to us. Um, but why should we do it? Because Jehovah is commanding us, and we should fear Him. And um, and it's interesting that you say why should you. Why bother even cursing? Like, why command to do something so ridiculous as cursing the deaf? But there are people who do that. What they're doing is mocking the deaf, not so the deaf person will hear it. They're mocking the deaf person before others. And you could argue that that that's the you know the, here's the literal application that the the um, the figurative application is anybody who can't hear you, um, who's deaf to your words, mm-hmm. who isn't around, who you're speaking behind his back. If you speak about him negatively, if if you put him down, you're cursing mm-hmm. the deaf. Um, so, so let and, me just get uh, straight, Nehemiah. So, to mock somebody, yeah. you would equate with cursing somebody. I think so. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to say this though, Jonah. Seriously, about that verse is that when I think of that verse about do not cursing the deaf, I, I think of it from this perspective: do not do to those you know you can do. That and back to this issue of Nehemiah speaking of the weak. Why would you put a stumbling block in front of the blind? Because I can. Why would you? Why would you curse the deaf? Because I can. In other words, let, what's he- let, let's call a spade a spade. Why do you put a stumbling block in kind of front of a blind person? It's called slapstick comedy, because right. people will laugh when he falls, and you curse the right. deaf because people will laugh knowing that he can't hear. He can't and hear it. Yeah. What God is saying is, don't mock those who uh, who are weaker than you mm. just because right. you can do it. Now, now and I'm like, I'm like, go ahead, Keith, finish. Well, no, I mean, I think that that's the thing. I mean, you know, I, 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 I was kind of joking you, Jonah. I'm actually glad when you give me give me something like that. But I do think that one of the things that is, is powerful about the Torah is that, you know, there's the sort of um, the quick read, the, you know, yeah, this makes sense. This is clear. Let's move on. And then there's the, the slow down and see. So what would this mean practically? And I think, again, we're dealing with this issue of, okay, Here's this person who can't see. I mean, it isn't just, I mean, okay, yes, because you can and because you can mock him because there's going to be a joke. But think about that person's disability, what you're actually doing. You're actually taking that disability and you're actually bringing it to a place for your own purposes. Mm -hmm. The person can't hear. I'm going to deal with the disability. I'm going to deal with the fact that everyone will laugh and joke and I can mock them. I mean, there's like three or four levels of what's happening and why this would be an offense not only to the person, but obviously to the creator of the universe. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, I think this, this, that's what's so powerful about the, this chapter. And again, I'm, I'm sitting in the bushes, you know, kind of with shaking and sweat on my head for the coming verse. So you guys continue talking. <laughs> okay. okay. Regarding don't, not placing a stumbling block in front of a blind person, you know, historically this has been interpreted. Um, uh, you know, there's the literal application, which we just talked about, but then there's the figurative application, which is that mm-hmm. anybody 
who doesn't see a certain truth if you exactly. um you know if if you uh do certain things that he doesn't realize because he doesn't see that truth you're placing a stumbling block in front of him and and the example that you know that that's often brought brought is um you know i don't know if if i have if i have a you know some strips of bacon and i i don't eat bacon because i'm you know i know god says that it's abomination to eat mm-hmm. a pig deuteronomy 14 he uses the word abomination amen say abomination abomination and um and uh and so i give that to somebody else saying, hey, you know, this is a very, very good, healthy thing. Go ahead and eat it. And he doesn't know. He doesn't know any better because he just doesn't. He just happens not to know. Mm. And that's me placing a stumbling block in front of a blind person. Now, if he wants to eat it on his own without anything to do with me, well, you know, that, that's his issue. Mm. But if I feed it to him, if I give it to him and tell him it's good, that's placing a stumbling block in front of a blind man, figuratively mm. speaking. Sure. Mm-hmm. You shall mm-hmm. do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor nor honor the person of mighty in righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. Mm-hmm. Now I've got to comment on that mm. because you know, I mean, there's this idea that you know, look, we're supposed to judge impartially and and uh, and not play favorites to the powerful, to the rich, to the popular. But the other side is also true, which is don't play favorites to the underdog, and that's what a lot of people end up doing. They um, they think that that's justice to um, to tip the balance. Um, in favor of of the weak and the underdog, and what God is telling us here is, you know, in matters of judgment, there needs to be a level playing field. There needs to be truth and honesty, mm-hmm. and not tipping the balance in favor of one side, whether it's the rich or the poor. Amen. Uh, you shall not go around as a talebearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am Yehovah. Wow. Mm-hmm. What do you got in your translation, Keith? Do, do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I, need, I mean, I am, the, I am the Lord. So what it says here is the first half is don't go about a tail bear among your people. It's you know kind of obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, although maybe we should talk about that because it, it's obvious, but then you know there are people who will say, well, you know, I'm, I'm not supposed to go about as a tail bear, but yeah, that's Jewish stuff that, that you know, um, that Lashon Hara. You know, Lashon Hara is, mm-hmm. is the later Jewish term. Literally means evil tongue. It means the gossip, and I've heard people literally say this. No, that's Jewish stuff. The lashon hara. We're allowed to talk about this because these are bad people. You know, let's talk about them. Let's talk about their 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 crimes and or their um their mistakes. Mm-hmm. And um and and it's telling us don't go about it as a tail bearer among your people. I mean, it you know this isn't talking about going around and 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 talking about the things of people about the about the good stuff that happens to them. It's the bad stuff. You know that that's what's fun to gossip about. Let's be honest, mm. um, and that and so it's warning us about that. And then the second half literally says, "Don't stand by the blood of your neighbor or your fellow," and that's a Hebrew idiom that means don't stand by idly and do nothing while you see somebody else being harmed. That is, while you see their blood being spilled. So we're actually commanded here not to take uh, a stance of inaction, but to actually take action when we see someone someone's blood being spilt. And then in the figurative sense. Um, this connects to the first half of the verse, which is going about as a tail bearer among your people. Don't stand by the blood of your, your fellow or your neighbor. Mm-hmm. That is when you, you know, th- there's a saying in Proverbs, life and death is, uh, in the power of the tongue. Um, and, uh, when you go about gossiping about somebody, I mean, that, that figuratively is, is spilling his blood. And so don't stand by the blood of your neighbor also means don't stand by idly when someone is gossiping. Mm-hmm. There's a literal blood and there's the figurative blood. I would like to read this next verse, please. 
if okay, that would be okay. What, what, why, why are we done with verse 17? Verse 17 well, because you, I was you didn't, waiting for you to say something. Right, to come me, in. No, so verse 17 is, is one of the, I think, most interesting commandments in the whole Bible because mm-hmm. it's, I would say, um, one of the very few commandments which is about our thoughts. You know, the Torah is really about action. Um, and, um, and and it's interesting. I, I, I'm, I'm currently editing my book. I'm in the final stages of editing, and I know oh, you've heard that before. But I'm in the final stages of editing. Final editing. I'm a perfectionist. I'm in the final stages of editing my new book, which is entitled uh, Shattering the Conspiracy of Silence, uh, The Hebrew Power of the Priestly Blessing Unleashed. Awesome book. Um, and, and Jono came up with the, that first title. So, um, nice. So, uh, so I'm editing it, and in one of the passages, I talk about um, uh, if a person turns from sin and does righteousness. And the editor who's trying to make it into more eloquent English changed it: turn from sin and is righteous, or to be righteous. And I and I was thinking about that. You know, that might be better English, but it's not correct in a Hebrew sense, or it's it's too vague because to be righteous in a Hebrew sense is to do righteousness. Mm-hmm. There is no distinction. I mean, you can't be righteous unless you do righteous mm-hmm. righteousness. And and it reminds me of um of uh, um, Forrest Gump. You know, whose mother used to say to him, you know, stupid is as stupid does. You know, if you do stupid things, you're stupid. Um, and the opposite's also true. If you do smart things, you're smart. And and in scripture, in a scriptural sense, uh, by and large, almost every commandment is about what you do, not about what you think. Mm-hmm. Except Leviticus nineteen seventeen, which is don't hate your neighbor, or excuse me, literally don't hate your brother in your heart. And of course, in the Hebrew scriptures, heart is we would say in modern English the mind. You know, mind is a modern concept. They mm-hmm. said in your heart. Um, so don't hate your brother in your heart. And it's actually about what you think in your in your mind, in yes. your heart. And I don't know of any other commandment off the top of my head that specifically designates what you do in your heart. So, so I think that's mm-hmm. profound. It, and why did it even say in your heart? Because in Hebrew, Hebrew is a thought-oriented, uh, excuse me, an action-oriented language, um, which is one of the big differences from Greek. Greek is, you know, they invented philosophy, the love of, you know, of knowledge, of thinking, um, they're very, they were very cerebral. Hebrew was the action-oriented language. So in Greek, if you said "Don't hate your neighbor," it, it would mean you know, it'd be obvious it meant in your in your heart and your feelings. But in Hebrew, they've got to designate specifically in your heart. Otherwise, the assumption is that it means through your actions. And I think this is profound. I mean, this is a tough commandment because how many people, you know, I mean, who 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 out there doesn't have someone who has wronged them in such a way that they, you know, at some point will hate them. Um, you know, I mean, unless you're living as a hermit on the top of a mountain, there's going to be somebody out there who, who at some point in your life you're going to hate. And here we're actually commandment not to hate your brother in your heart. And, and that's a tall order. So I think that, uh-huh. that this is a point where we should we should stop and, and maybe think for a second and, and um, you know, and, and just let that sink in. That, that's a significant thing. Second half of the commandment, you shall, you shall surely rebuke your fellow that you not bear sin because of him. And that actually goes back to not putting the stumbling block in front of the block in front of the blind person. What this means, if you know someone is a sinner or someone is uh, in the middle of committing a sin, that you're required to rebuke him. Um, mm-hmm. And think about the previous commandment, the previous verse, verse 16: Don't stand by the blood of your neighbor, or the blood of your mm-hmm. fellow. And what that means is, if you see one guy murdering another, you've got to or harming him, you've got to speak out. You must speak out. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, you bear sin because of him. As if, mm-hmm. it, you know, the assumption is he may not know that what he's doing is a sin. And in that situation, if you don't warn him, 
you bear some of that sin. Mm. And I want to quote a couple of verses from Proverbs. You guys went to the New Testament, so I'm allowed to quote Proverbs, sure. uh, which was written by King Solomon, most of it. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 7, um, it says, To correct a scoffer or rebuke a wicked man for his blemish is to call down abuse on oneself. And ain't that the truth? And then it says in verse 8, Do not rebuke a scoffer, for he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. And it's interesting that it speaks here about the scoffer. He's not just a sinner. He's someone who mocks the righteous and mocks righteousness. Um, so that person, Proverbs, is telling us, don't rebuke him. It's not going to accomplish anything. He's just going to hate you. Reprove the wise man who may not realize that he's sinning. Um, and, and your correction can actually help him. Sure. Um, and then Proverbs 28, 23 says, He who reproves a man will in the end find more favor than he who flatters him, uh, which I think is kind of profound because you know the tendency is to just say positive things to people and, you know, well, why should I bother you know, uh, trying to correct people um, and, and pointing out things that they may not realize? Um, you know, and here again, we're talking about the wise, you know, the people who are scoffers, they're not going to even listen to you. Um, so and then Proverbs 26, 4 through 5 is a really interesting uh, passage because this is actually a passage that led the rabbis to uh, discuss removing the book of Proverbs, uh, not from the Bible, but actually from public circulation. They were talking about placing it in Geniza, which means they wanted to essentially ban it. They couldn't take it out of the Bible, but what they thought they would do is take all the copies and hide them because of 26, 4 through 5. It says, do not answer a dullard in accord with his folly else you be will become like him. So verse 5 then says, answer a dullard in accord with his folly, else he will think himself wise. And they came to these two verses and they said they directly contradict each other. Mm -hmm. The one says, do not do not answer a dullard in accord with his folly, and the other says, answer a dullard in accord with his folly. Well, which one, which one is it? And what does all of this mean? And what on earth is a dullard? What do you got in your translation, <laughs> Jono? So 20, Proverbs 26, 4 through 5. Now, honestly, I've, I've looked at this before and I've had many discussions about this and, you know, I'd Okay. It's one of those. So it says, do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So what does that mean? I, and I think the key here is that in the opening verses of Proverbs, he says that one of the types of wisdom statements that he's going to bring is the chida. And chida, they sometimes translate as a dark saying, but it really means a riddle. And I think this is intentionally a riddle. And, and he intentionally uh, said two contradictory statements to make you stop and think and figure out, okay, what does he mean? What's he talking about? And one of the problems with a riddle is, I guess, you know, different people may come up with different answers. Here's my answer, which is verse four is saying, don't, when it says, do not answer the fool according to his folly, it means don't, if, you know, if he, I don't know, if he spits in your face or he insults you, don't insult him back mm -hmm. because then you become like him. And then verse 5 says, answer a fool according to, in accord with his folly, uh, lest he be wise in his own eyes. What that means is um, you've got to respond in some way. And so the, you know, if somebody insults you, the way to respond isn't to insult him back. But you do need to respond in some way. And maybe the way to respond is by rebuking him. Maybe there's, you know, maybe there's another way to respond, and each situation may be different. Okay. Um, and uh, but I think this is connected to the rebuking verse, but also not hitting your neighbor in your heart. It's also related to that. And 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 I think the principle here is if a bully or a fool uh, does something to you, don't do it back to him because mm. that's taking revenge. That's actually the next verse. Do not take revenge. The very next words. Um, but you have to respond in some way, lest he think he's lest he be wise in his own oh in his own eyes. Sure. Mm -hmm. And now I'm going to be quiet for the rest of the chapter and let Keith speak. 
are right. Okay. So you shall not. Um, so eighteen. You shall not. No, 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 no. Okay. I would like to read this one verse. Please, this is, if I may. This is the one Jono, you've been waiting for, Keith. I've been. I would like to read. Is this, this the verse. money ball? No, this is not. I just want to read this verse. <laughs> Go on, Keith. Okay, Nehemiah. Ne- do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against any of your people, <laughs> but love your neighbor as yourself. No, 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 Nehemiah. Have you ever heard a verse like that, Jeno? Have you ever heard a verse like that? Do either of you know anyone that's ever talked about not loving loving your neighbor as yourself, Jono? What do you say about this? So it's really it's really interesting. No, to I'm asking it. Jono. Oh, I'm oh, asking, oh, Jono, asking Jono. Jono. It's New Testament day today, isn't it? Well, Jono, Testament. I'm asking you a question. Have so you ever heard anyone? I, say, you know what? I think I have. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So why am I excited about this? Because here's why, guys. And I and this is what this this is not just a matter of bringing in the Methodist tradition, but I think whenever we get a, a chance to see, and this doesn't just simply this issue of Yeshua Jesus who quoted this, mm. but I think any time that the Torah itself is quoted in another section, like in, for me, when I read the New Testament and I hear an exact quote, it always makes me say, "Wait a minute." Now, do you really mean that, and where did it come from? And so this was one of these situations, I have to make a confession to the world, that when I heard in Matthew, for example, where Yeshua has asked this question, Jesus has asked this question, what are the greatest commands? And he says, you know, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and your mind, and you should love your neighbors yourself. I always thought, until I began to read the Torah, that the second part was something that he created himself. What a great thing. He's taken the Torah, and he's added to it and said, hey, you know what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor. That was his way of adding the meaning and the importance and the power of the real uh, command itself. Until I found myself in Leviticus 19. And actually, it was as a result of study Nehemiah and I were doing together uh, on uh, our book, A Prayer to Our Father, Hebrew Origins of the Lord's Prayer. Because as we were going through these, these, these issues, we would be talking about the Tanakh, we'd be talking about the prayer itself in, uh, in Matthew, mm-hmm. and then there would be this, this need for us to always ask the question, where did Jesus, and I'm using Jesus for my Methodists and Yeshua for the Messianics, and mm-hmm. oh, what's his name for anyone who doesn't know who I'm talking about, <laughs> where did he get this idea of this prayer? And this was one of the powerful examples of the, ta- the, the Torah being in his mouth. Him speaking the Torah just the way it was written. And the reason, again, I wanted to, to do this, you know, I talked again earlier about the New Testament with James. But here's just an example where I can actually go to the teachings of, of, of uh, Yeshua in the New Testament and having it being direct from the Torah. And again, for me, the reason it was radical is I'm thinking, wait, you mean to tell me that the Torah is concerned about the neighbor? If you don't read it, you just think it's rules and regulations from this mm-hmm. mean old God that had you know all of these things he wanted his people to do, come to find out, as we've been learning and as we've been reading, that there is, there is practical aspects of what it means to, to love your neighbor and to be connected with, your, with people, and they're very, very practical. So I'm thinking here in Leviticus 19, he picks this particular verse to bring out. Why this particular verse? Because if you read before it and if you read after it, being holy, understanding what it means to, to love the Creator and to love our neighbor, I mean, it's very, very practical, and he picks that as the most important commands. And so I just have to give a shout-out to Yeshua on this one. I want to give a shout-out to the one they call Jesus, who would pick this verse to say this is what it means to love the Creator, 
with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Can I get an amen? So that's uh, amen. So uh, that's Matthew 22, verses 37, where he said, you shall love, the, in answer to the question, which is the great commandment of the Torah, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And uh, this is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two, Keith, would you agree, on these two commandments hang all the law, and the prophets at least was... Uh, it seems to me, and I would love to hear what anyone Nehemiah thinks about this. Maybe we can get some textual response here. Uh, or maybe he'll give us a shout. I don't know. But the point is that this idea of our creator, who's the one that we can say, oh, the, the great God of all creation, we love him. Oh, we love mm -hmm. him with all our hearts, all our mind. But this person that I'm looking at, this blind person, this deaf person, this dumb person, this foolish person, the list goes on and on. I don't have to deal with him. I can just love God. Mm -hmm. And isn't it interesting this wasn't something that Yeshua created, but it's something he's quoting. Well, that's what I want to know. So, Nehemiah, is this, uh, is this generally accepted in uh, Jewish tradition as the two major um, uh, commandments? And, and is it considered uh, amongst Jewish, Jewish tradition that, uh, that all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments? Is that a, is that a traditional understanding? So, so uh, it's really it's really interesting because if you ask, I would say most Jews, who said love your neighbor as you love yourself, about half of them will say it comes from Leviticus, but the other half will say will tell you, oh, Rabbi Akiva said that. <laughs> oh, really? Um, it, yeah, and there's a famous saying from uh, uh, from the ancient rabbinical writings huh. where quotes Rabbi Akiva, where he uh, says, kamocha, love your neighbor as you love yourself. This is a central principle in the Torah. And, oh. and actually, it's a little bit deeper than that because the word klal, which you could translate as principle, is from the word kolel. Uh, you could also translate it as this in, uh, is, is all-inclusive of the Torah. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and there's a story from uh, some rabbis who lived about 30 years before Yeshua was born, which illustrates what he meant by that. Um, and it goes as follows. Um, it appears in the Talmud, uh, in Sabbath 31a, and it's a story about Shammai and Hillel. They were they were a really big deal. They were mm -hmm. the leading uh, Pharisaical teachers around the year 30 BCE. Mm -hmm. uh, it says there was an incident with a Gentile uh, who came before Shammai. Uh, he said to Shammai, convert me on the condition that you teach me all of the Torah while I stand on one leg. You know, he's like, I, I don't want to sit in classes for years, for months. Teach me the whole Torah while I'm standing on one leg. And, and the point is, how long can you stand on one leg? You know, one minute. You know, if you're a runner like Keith, maybe five minutes, right? But not that long. Mm -hmm. So Shammai was known as a very impatient man. So it says, uh, Shammai drove him away with the builder staff that was in his hand, because he was by profession a, build, a builder. Mm -hmm. um, uh, he came before Hillel, who converted him. And then Hillel said to him, now bear in mind, this is 30 years before Yeshua was born. Mm -hmm. Hillel said to him, that which is hateful to your uh, neighbor, do not do. Mm. This is the entire Torah, and the rest is its, interpre it's, is its interpretation. Go and study it. In yeah. other words, this is the central guiding principle of the Torah. Love your neighbors, you love yourself. Don't do that which is hateful to your neighbor. Don't do. Um, don't, do don't do to him. All the rest is the interpretation, meaning, well, what is hateful to my neighbor? Don't lie. Don't steal. 
Um, if my neighbor's poor, I should I should leave the corner of my field so that he he can come and he can you know he can uh, sustain himself mm-hmm. and still have some dignity. All of these things are the interpretation, the explanation of what it means: love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so, mm-hmm. bear in mind, this was 30 years before Yeshua was born that this was being taught. Now, that's not to diminish the value of what Yeshua taught. On the contrary, um, it's to show that what he taught, or it does show whether you like it or not, that what he taught was actually perfectly in line with what the great Jewish teachers of the time were teaching, mm-hmm. um, but the people weren't always following. And this was the problem. You know, the if you look at the history of the destruction of the temple, um, of the destruction of Jerusalem in the year 70 CE or 70 AD, uh, what you have is the different Jewish factions were so hateful of one another that they spent more energy attacking each other than attacking the Romans. And um, and this eventually led to their downfall. Mm. They were they could have held out until the Romans weren't able to you know maintain the siege against Jerusalem anymore. But they end up they ended up fighting against each other and weakening their position to where the Romans could overcome them. And 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 the principle here is one that that Yeshua preached and Hillel preached and Akiva preached, and the people still didn't follow it, which was. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. That, that's a guiding central principle in the Torah. The rest is all the commentary or interpretation. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's actually what Yeshua says if you think about it. He doesn't say this is the only principle in the Torah. He says upon this all the law and the prophets hang. Well, that term hang is actually a Hebrew, Hebraism. It's a Hebrew concept which you could translate it to modern English as uh, are derived. You could really translate all the law and the prophets hang in that say, in, in in the way of saying, uh, from this all the law and the prophets are derived, and that's true. All the law and the prophets are derived from this guiding principle: love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then the following words after that, which are, what does it say after that? You know, it says, kamocha, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Ani Yehovah, I am Yehovah. So you've got the entire Bible right there in those five words: love your neighbor as you love yourself. Why? I am Yehovah. There it is. So you've got to love me, and then from loving me, even if you hate your neighbor, I am Yehovah. So you've got to love your neighbor in your actions, Mm. uh, the way you treat him and the way you behave towards him. Because remember, Hebrew is the action-oriented language. When you say love someone in Hebrew, if you don't say in your heart, it means through your actions. So that's that's powerful. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. I am Yehovah. That's the whole scripture right there. All the rest is commentary. Go and learn it. That's a Torah pill, Keith. Yes, that's not only a Torah pearl. Ladies and gentlemen, do you realize what we've done again? Twice in one program. We've had my friend Nehemiah discuss with us James, and now he's going on and on talking about this wonderful verse. And why is this exciting? Well, here's the thing. I, I think what's ex- exciting about this, you know, I, I always tell the story that Nehemiah really gave me a, a few things, conditions before we talk. One, he said, no New Testament stuff, no conversion stuff, and let's stay away from that Jesus stuff. And he's the one who ends up writing a book about the Hebrew Yeshua versus the Greek Jesus and then goes on to, to write w- with me, which was wonderful, this whole thing of a prayer to our Father, going to the actual words of the one whom we call Yeshua or Jesus. And then when we get to this, you know, Nehemiah, what I appreciated was you talking about 30 years before Yeshua, that this was something mm. that was being discussed and, and something that was known regarding the Torah. And so, again, what I think is pretty amazing is that, um, you know, Yeshua comes along, and of course, because of my Methodist tradition, I've been so disconnected from the Tanakh and the Torah, when I hear him say, love the neighbor, your neighbors yourself, I make the uh, assumption that that's something he created on his own, because I don't know history, I don't know context, and I wasn't a person who read 
the Torah. So for me, again, why I wanted to take uh, my time on this verse is because this verse was kind of a, a real a game changer for me mm -hmm. regarding the significance of the Tanakh, the Torah, being used, being spoken um, by Yeshua. And again, why he picked this particular verse, I think, is connected to everything we've been talking about. Our neighbor, the holiness of the creator of the universe, and the fact that uh, he says, Ani Yehovah, I am Yehovah, and we hear that over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And so for me, when I, when I see this, and then I hear you, Jono, talking about it, you even went to Matthew, Nehemiah talking about it historically, I'm sure there's some folks listening out there that think, wow, there, there is some connection to you know, some parts of the New Testament. So appreciate you guys doing that. I mostly appreciate him picking this particular verse to, uh, to proclaim as the, the thing that the Torah hangs on. So. Amen. Amen. Yeah, one, one more thing on this verse, which sure. is um, something that I think a lot of people um, you know, kind of take for granted. So it says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And, that's, and, and a lot of people forget that, that second part of it, which is first you've got to love yourself. Then you can love your neighbor. You need to have a love for yourself, and then you can transfer that love to others. If you hate yourself, you're, you're going to have a hard time keeping this commandment. Mm -hmm. Amen. Mm -hmm. okay. You shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your livestock breed with another kind. You shall not sow your field with mixed seed, nor shall a garment of mixed linen and wool come upon you. There's a... Uh, there's a uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Okay. Can I be really controversial? In fact, we oh, might need to edit this out. I'm pretty sure really you can be pretty controversial. It's really, really controversial. <laughs> so I've, I've had people come to me with this verse and say, you know, I'm not going to even bring it. It's, it's <laughs> Okay. There's some strong <laughs> opinions there. What do, you, what, what, do you, what do you mean? Okay. No, no. We've got to bring this verse. We've got to bring it. <laughs> so I've had people come to me with this verse and say, Nehemiah, this verse proves that interracial marriage is forbidden. What? Oh. Can we talk about that? I, I, I haven't heard that one. Are you serious? Keith, can, you talk, can we talk about that? I'm dead serious. I've, not, I've <laughs> not, never had a Jew. I've never had a Jew say this, but I've had Gentiles, right. Christians come to me and say, "Well, this this is why you can't marry a black person. You know, this is okay. why uh, well, let, let me, you shouldn't. Can I just? You shouldn't. Okay, let me let, let me put it this way. <laughs> I love it when people is say that too controversial. There's to only about? there's only one race. There's the human race. Amen. Amen. When it comes to and, humans, and now can I now can I prove it from the verse? Go on. Can I do that? So uh, we have here. Um, let's see now. Where is this in the verse? Um, so it talks about uh, your animals. Uh, inter, you know, um, two 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 different uh, species of animals breeding. Well, what is that actually? What's the actual prohibition here? Does this mean that we're not allowed to take? I don't know. Um, a sheep you're and a goat, goat guy. Sheep and a goat. No, no, not a, not a sheep and a goat. What, what's two different types of goats? I don't really know goats. Oh, the an goat Angora guy, and uh, an Anubian. There you go. So are we allowed to take an Angora, and that's appropriate, an Angora and a Nubian, which we know is black from Africa, the Nubians. Mm -hmm. Are we allowed to take those and mix those? And the answer is absolutely yes. Amen. What we're not allowed to do is take um, uh, a, goat and a, a sheep. horse. I'm not sure. Could a goat and a sheep interbreed? There's such a there is such a thing as a geep. A geep. Yeah. Okay. Or but you're right. going to say a horse and a donkey, and you get a mule, well, right? Say, yeah. Exactly. A horse and a donkey, and it produces a mule. And the thing about the mule, the reason it's forbidden, what makes it uh, kilayim? Kilayim is the word here. The mix hmm. is that it produces an offspring which is uh, infertile, mm -hmm. and it's it's no longer a horse, and it's no longer. Um, um, uh, a donkey, it produces an, an infertile offspring, mm -hmm. and that's actually what the prohibition is about, <clears throat> that God has created this 
fertility in the world, and we're not supposed to mix two things and create infertility. Mm -hmm. um, that's as far as the animals are concerned. Um, now, so a lot of people, it's interesting, it then says, in your field you shall not plant uh, um, kilayim, which also means a mix. Mm. Now there, it's not a matter of taking um, wheat and barley, because wheat and barley don't actually mix. Mm -hmm. There, what it's talking about is planting the two in the same field, which then creates um, uh, essentially a low-grade mixture, because in ancient times, wheat was a valuable crop and barley was, was a, a really a low-grade a low crop. Mm -hmm. And if you mix those two together, there's no way with the ancient te technology to sift out the barley. And so people think they're getting wheat um, when you sell the grain, but they're end up ending up getting a mixture of wheat and barley. And, um, and, and that essentially is, is um, a deception. Sure. That's the principle behind that. Mm -hmm. Now, what's interesting is most people look at this verse and they say, oh, this is why I can't eat, um, I don't know, uh, um, you know, a cit citrus fruit where the orange has been grafted onto a lemon tree. Okay. Yeah. Or where a and actually, it doesn't say anything about grafting. It talks about planting seed in your field. It says nothing about grafting two different types of trees. Um, I'm pretty sure if you graft an apple branch onto a, um, a citrus tree that it won't produce anything, but I could be wrong about that. So, um, now what about, grafting, uh, there's, there's, speaking of the seed, Nehemiah, there's the other example of, uh, of producing an orange that doesn't have seeds or producing grapes that don't have seeds by hybridizing uh, different um, uh, manipulations done to the fruit so that they don't produce seeds. What's your, what's your feeling on that? It's an interesting question. It, it definitely requires some deep thought and prayer needs to be worked out in fear and trembling mm -hmm. before the word. Um, but going on to the third one, uh, which is uh, a mixed garment you shall not uh, put upon yourselves or you shall not wear. So it then has the word in Hebrew, shatnez, which is a very unusual word. And, and we've got to stop here for a second and, and lay out a, a clear principle of scripture or of ancient Hebrew, which is that every word in Hebrew, with a few exceptions, has a three-letter root. That's a, a primary principle of biblical Hebrew. It's actually true of all Semitic languages. The word shatnez has five root letters, and what that tells you is that it's actually not a native Hebrew word. It's actually a foreign loan word, which is unusual. There aren't very many foreign loan words in the Bible. And why have a foreign loan word all of a sudden when it says mixed garment, shatnez, you shall not wear upon yourselves? And, and, and a, lot of, a lot of translations don't know how to translate shatnez. Like, what do you have in yours, um, Jonah? Okay, so what I've got is, um, uh, okay, so, nor shall a garment of mixed linen and wool come upon you. Okay, mixed garment of linen and wool. So it doesn't actually say linen or wool in this verse. What do you got, Keith? Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. Mm -hmm. Well, that's really significant. If that's what the commandment means, that means we can't wear um, polyester and cotton. Sure. Um, so what is it? We need to figure this out. What is shatnez? Um, and uh, shatnez, it turns out, is defined in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 11. And there it says, you shall not wear shatnez, wool and linen together. And so it defines shatnez as wool and linen. Now, why would it have this big, big, strange foreign word for this type of mixture of wool and linen? And the answer is that a lot of times a cloth will be named after the place where, where the cloth is produced. Um, and just to name a couple of examples, there's a famous, very beautiful Middle Eastern type of cloth called the damask. And why is it called damask? Because it comes from Damascus. Mm -hmm. um, the more famous example in the Western world is cashmere. Why is it called cashmere? Because the original cloth came from Kashmir in India. Sure. Um, and so shatnez is apparently uh, some foreign loan word that describes a type of garment that consisted of wool and linen 
interwoven together. Uh, and so in Leviticus, it doesn't even define it for us. We're just expected to know because we've gone to the marketplace and we know if you're an ancient biblical Hebrew speaker, you know that shatnez is wool and linen together. In Deuteronomy, thankfully, it it tells us shatnez, that is wool and linen together, in case you didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not any two garments or any two cloths, really. It's specifically a, a mixture of wool and linen, which in ancient Hebrew was called shatnez. And actually, to this day, is known as shatnez in, in the Hebrew-speaking world. So you don't feel that this is an example of... uh... No. My point is that Shatnez is like Damask or Cashmere. It's it's a specific term of a specific type of of, uh, garment. And Deuteronomy 22.11 is defining it. And this is actually a very common uh, uh, structure in biblical Hebrew where you have an abstract term followed by a concrete definition of what that term means Mm -hmm. to the point where it sounds redundant. So Exodus 21.11 is one of my favorite examples. It's talking about a female servant. And it says she shall go free... Without payment. Well, why did we need payment to say without payment? It just said she should go free. Um, and it, she should go out for free without payment. Well, and so it's defining that to go out for free means without payment. Another example is Genesis twenty four sixteen. It says the maiden was very beautiful, a virgin whom no man had known. Mm. Well, why are you telling us <laughs> no man had known? You just She was a virgin. Well, that's, again, the abstract term virgin followed by the definition whom no man had known. Same exact thing, shatnez, wool and linen together. It's the sure. same exact structure appears okay. throughout the Bible. All right. Okay. <laughs> Moving along. We better start whipping through these because, man, we could probably spend a half hour. Right. I mean, Jono, if you're going to if you're gonna oh. ask a, a, every verse of a word from every, every verse from your translation, we're never going to get this chat. <laughs> okay. Can I, can I jump ahead to verse 23 where we've got an interesting little thing? I'll really quickly say this. What is circumcised fruit? You plant, uh, you uncircumcised, know? it says. Literally, you know yeah. about this. Okay. What is it? It literally says... Um, uh, and you shall plant uh, every uh, fr- every tree of food and v'aratem, and you shall deem it uncircumcised. It's uncircumcision. It's fruit. I mean, and for three years, they're to be considered uncircumcised for you. This fruit, and it's only on the fourth year you're allowed to eat it. Interesting. Interesting. You shall not uh, eat anything with the blood, nor shall you practice divination or soothsaying. You shall not shave around the sides of your beard, nor shall you disfigure the edges of your beard. Your your beard. You shall not. Make uh, cuttings in your flesh for the dead on tattoo marks on you. I am Yehovah. We actually went into detail in that on Mitzorah. Yes. So, uh, do not prostitute your daughter. There's a, that's a good idea. Keep my Sabbaths and revere my sanctuary. I am Yehovah. Give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I am Yehovah. Your Elohim. You shall rise before. Now you don't see this very often anymore. At least uh, where I come from, you shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man and fear your God. I am Yehovah. I would like to ask a question there. Jono, how old are you? I am 40. Nehemiah, how old are you? 39. You two better start rising when I'm on this show. I'm the <laughs> Wait, oldest hang one on. here, and I've had enough of this. Either we're going to go by the Torah or we're not. This Hello. whole thing where I don't get to speak it even... <laughs> Look, I want some respect. I'm the oldest guy on this darn show. <laughs> are you are you telling me that you're gray-headed? Who would know because you shave your head? What are you I'm talking bald, about? I'm for goodness sake, but I did find some gray hairs, so I'm going to let them grow. Some gray hair in, in his little, little tiny beard. Okay, in his little tiny beard. <laughs> and if a stranger dwells with you in the land, you shall not mistreat him. He shall be... Oh, well, there you go. And the, the stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you and you shall love him as yourself so primarily chapter 20 is a repetition of chapter 18 but it has the penalties in there as well and it's worth going through and and taking your time with those and and lining them up 
But uh, is there anything else that we want to take out of uh, Chapter 20 before we go, fellas? Well, there's some interesting things here, but I think we'll save it, you know, for, for other sections. Um, so, yeah. That's a first. <laughs> <laughs> There we go. All right. Wrapping this up. You have been listening to the Torah Pearls. Thank you, Nehemia Gordon and Keith Johnson. Their books and DVDs are available from Truth to You. You can also freely download this and other Torah Pearls programs. And if these programs have been a blessing to you, you can show your support by donating at truthtoyou.org. That's truth number two, letter you.org. Next week, we are in MR Leviticus 21 verse 1 to 24 verse 23. And until then, dear listeners, be blessed to be set apart by the truth about Father's Word. Shalom.